0: He is holy and he is worthy and he has spoken. And we get the privilege now to read his word together. I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this text on page 967. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll be reading. Chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray to you because you are worthy because you are the Lord God Almighty. Father, we marvel at your holiness and we tremble before it. And we thank you for Jesus who paid the price for our sins. Father, I pray that you would teach us by your spirit this morning. Help us to have hearts and minds ready to hear what you would say to us. Bless and sustain our brother and speak through him and guide him by your spirit. Father, work through Your Word in our hearts and minds today, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Our God is holy, amen. He is like no other. He is unrepeatable. He is indescribable. He is unfathomable. He is eternal. He is beyond our finite brains to really get around. If it were any other way, He wouldn't be worthy of worship. He is beyond us. God alone can speak and call galaxies into existence. God alone can breathe into a pile of dirt and make it into a human being. God alone creates and sustains life. God alone governs the entire universe, every molecule at every moment. And that doesn't matter and just shouldn't make us tremble when we sing songs, and it should. It should cause our heart to stir. It should make us exult in Him that He would even… I mean, who am I that you would descend and look at me at all? But the Bible doesn't teach that the fact that God is holy should just affect our worship services that the fact that God is holy is meant to shape all of life. That because God is holy, His people are to be holy. Because He is set apart, they ought to be set apart. Because there is none like Him, really, there ought to be none like them. In the Old Testament, after God frees his people from captivity in Egypt and brings them out, he says of them in Exodus 19, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as a holy nation, they won't just be marked by special religious rituals, though they will. If you read the law, you see that holiness was meant to mark every aspect of life. They were to be holy in their business dealings with one another. They were to be holy in their families. They were to establish a holy structure for society to operate in their nation. They were to be wholly set apart from the sexual ethics of the world around them. They were to be completely. Set apart, and not just set apart as you hear from to God, but set apart from the world. Listen to Leviticus 18. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. You are not to live according to the business you work at. You are not merely to live according to the nation in which you reside. You and I are to live according to God's words He is holy and he has rescued us to make us holy right Ephesians 1 verse 3 even as he chose us in him verse 4 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world why that we should be holy and blameless before him. What is the call of Romans 12? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. What does Peter say in 1 Peter? As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." Why? Because the holy God has condescended in Jesus Christ to rescue us from sin slavery. He has defeated our enemies, sin, death, and hell, and all who trust in Him are meant to be like Him. That's God's big plan, our sanctification, which will result in our glorification. That's where it's going. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy. It's an all-encompassing holiness in our sexual ethics, in our families, in our businesses, in our dealings with society. We are set apart from the world to God. And this is the biblical reality that undergirds what Paul says in 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 7, verse 1. To remind you of the context, at the end of chapter 5, Paul has talked about our reconciliation with God, that God made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, that He is not counting our sins against us, that God has reconciled the world to Himself through Christ. And then last week we saw that that reconciliation is meant to affect our relationships with other Christians. That reconciliation with God is meant to lead us, should lead us, must lead us, to reconciled relationships with God's people. There's There's no way around it. And then Paul is going on here from that, namely to tell us this, reconciliation with God must include separation. So let's look at it, all right? First let's look at the command. Let's look at the command. It's right there at the beginning of uh, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul underlines this command again when he quotes from Isaiah 52 in verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're pretty familiar with the fact that God is not interested in us giving ourselves to sin, right? I mean, we're used to that. We're used to stay away from sin. We're used to flee the youthful lust. We're used to run away from temptation. We're used to resist the evil one. But here, God God, through Paul is saying, separate from people. There's a separateness from people that's happening here. It's not just sin. Something is going on here that we need to understand. Do not be unequally yoked. With people, particular people, unbelieving people. And so really in Paul's mind this falls within the general command, the general exhortation if you will, that he says in chapter 7 verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Within that is not yoking ourselves to unbelievers. Within that is not, is separating, going out of their midst, touching no unclean thing. All of these things go together. Now, if you think back to your teenage years, or if you just think about the years you're in because you're a teenager, uh, then you know that parents are very concerned about the influence of friends, right? I mean, how many of us have heard Proverbs 13 quoted to us? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, and the companion of fools suffers harm. Or 1 Corinthians 15. This is like... This is why our parents memorized the Bible, right? 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. And so parents are very concerned about this. And certainly we should avoid any influence that would lead us to wander from the Lord. But Paul's words are stronger than just avoid the influences that happen to be out there. He's talking about yoking, not yolking, all right, not like eggs. Don't like put a, he's not saying don't put a goose egg with a chicken egg, all right? That would be unequal yolks. But he's saying don't unequally yoke yourself. And for most of us, that means nothing, all right? A yoke was essentially a piece of wood that, was, that went from one animal to another and would attach. We have a picture here. So that yoke, that piece of wood that's connecting them is a yoke, and so they were put together so that they would be on the same page and do the same work, and they would go in the same direction, and I mean, you can't, if you got that around your neck, you can't go this way while the other person goes that way. You're going in the same direction, and you're doing the same work. In fact, the whole idea of yoking is one way to describe being a Christian, Do you remember what Jesus said? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, what yoke isn't easy and isn't light? Well, Paul in Galatians 5 calls it the yoke of slavery. He talks about sin as the yoke of slavery. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ took the yoke of our slavery, and He broke it. And the foolishness of Christians going back to sin is trying to piece back together the yoke that tied us to slavery and to sin and to all of its destruction. But Jesus Christ entered into this world. He became sin for us. He took that death so that in exchange for him taking the yoke of our sin slavery we would on the cross we could take through faith the yoke of forgiveness and easy and light and eternal life and oh being right with God his yoke is easy his burden is light so we can take his yoke of freedom And if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that yoke is available for you today. Jesus would say to you that you are burdened and heavy laden by sin. And that you should come to him and find rest for your soul. By faith, take his yoke upon you. There's nothing easier or lighter than to have all the heavy lifting of getting to heaven done by Jesus Christ. In fact, there's no other yoke to take to heaven save Jesus Christ. Here Paul is talking, though, about not our yoke with Christ, but yoke, yoking between people. He's talking about unequal yoking. And so that, that's a picture of a, maybe a stronger animal and a weaker animal being yoked together. It's a mismatch. Okay, it's a mismatch. And in the Old Testament forbids it in Deuteronomy 22, God commands you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Don't mismatch. And Paul's saying to Christians, don't be unequally yoked with the with unbeliever. You can't share an intimate relationship with someone who doesn't have a relationship with your savior. He's saying don't yoke yourself who's not yoked to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Now, many people, when they get to this place, they say yes. And let me tell you what Paul is talking about. You shouldn't date a non-Christian. You shouldn't marry a non-Christian. You can't give your heart to a non-Christian young person, no matter how cute, no matter how well you get along, no matter how well they treat you. You cannot give your heart to someone whose heart doesn't belong to Jesus. Now, that's true. That's absolutely true. But that's where the explanation of this text stops so many times, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have been to a youth conference where that's what was said? But there's more here than dating and marrying. It's much broader than that. And actually, it's it's much broader and more specific. It's both and. That is a fair implication. But what is Paul saying to the church at Corinth? Is he saying, now listen, folks, Those of you who are on the market, okay, when you sign up for eHarmony, (laughs) look, I sat at the table next to a trio of ladies. Two of them were, uh, uh, I was at McAllister's, and, and I was sitting there, and I was eating my lunch, and I was reading my Judson biography, and I couldn't, because it was not inaudible, so loud these two ladies were giving advice on which people on her dating app she ought to follow up with and all of these things. Paul's not saying just, he's not just saying don't follow up with the non-Christians, you know. That's not what he's saying. Just delete their profile. So what is he saying then? Well, it all hinges on what he means by these unbelievers. Unbelievers. I mean, Paul's already said, I mean, he uses this, he speaks about unbelievers, but it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about church discipline, he's talking about removing the unfaithful brother from the church, he's saying, uh, I'm not saying to separate from all the sexually immoral people of the world, because if you had did that, you'd have to leave the world. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus get, he was awfully accused of eating with sinners all the time. It was his regular hangout. Now, what is Paul saying then? I don't actually think, some take this to be all unbelievers, I don't actually take it to be that. This week, unlike last week, there are commentaries who agree with me, so it's good to know that they are right. <laughs> While we should certainly should not be unequally yoked with any believer, I think Paul has in mind particular believers, and let me show you how I get to that. Let me show you the context. Chapter 6, verse 13, what does Paul say? He's calling out to them. He says, in verse 11, "We've spoken freely to you. Our hearts are open to you. Open your hearts to us, too." Now what does he say immediately after this, in chapter two, in chapter seven, verse two? He goes right back to that, "Make room in your hearts for us also. This, this, the fact that he talks about them being reconciled just before and just after make people think that this was just kind of dropped in here at some other point, but I don't think so. I think that the unbelievers here are some that will be left if the Corinthians come back to Paul, into relationship with him, into right relationships, back to the true gospel... It will mean separating themselves from a particular group. I take the unbelievers to be the false apostles who are in Corinth. That's what seems to make sense to me. Paul's saying, Come back to me before, come back to me after. And in between, he seems to be saying, Leave them. Leave them. It's interesting what he says of them in chapter 11. He says those, that they are those who would like to claim in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. These false apostles claim to be on the same page as Paul, but Paul's saying, no, we're not. We're not on the same page. We're not in the same book. We're not even in the same library. They are trying to tear down the very gospel that we are preaching. So he's saying, Don't, don't, you, you have to separate from them. They're the same kinds of unbelievers that Paul warns the Ephesian church about through the elders in Ephesian, in Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Think of it this way: don't be unequally yoked with wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, that is a subset of all unbelievers. Not all unbelievers are sneaky wolves coming in. These in Corinth are. Don't give them a place in your life. Don't give them a place, Corinthians, in your church. Stop listening to them. Cut ties. Remove them. You have been yoked long enough with those who would destroy you by their false doctrine. You have to cut it out, friends. In our day, it is it is simply not enough to say that for someone to walk around and say that they are a Christian for us to assume they believe the right gospel. When I was a sophomore in high school, it was when the Lord saved. It was the first, summer after my freshman year in high school. The Lord saved me, and I got back, and I was just—I was on fire. I was ready to—I was ready to start a Bible study in my school, and my choir director happened to be a Christian, and uh, uh, and he said we could use his room after school. So I started talking to anybody and everybody that was in that music program. Hey, come! We're going to do a Bible study. We're going to do a Bible study. And so I learned after the first time it takes a long time to prepare for a Bible study when you're 15 and you don't know the Bible very well. So I was like, we need to share this load. We need more people to, to lead this Bible study. Let's, let's, let's share, share the load here. And so this guy would do one, this gal would do one, and we'd just share, you know, we'd talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus. And this girl comes to me and she said, I'd like to do one. I said, That's, I said are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, great, you're on next week. We come to the Bible study, and and she, well, no, 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 that's not true. I said, yes, and all these friends are around. We just finished one. I said, great, you're on next week. She leaves, and then I'm the sophomore. Like three seniors drag me into Mr. Crow's office and says, um, she cannot lead a Bible study. I said, what do you mean? Why not? She says she's a Christian. They said, do you know what a Mormon is? I said, No. I don't, I have no clue. What is that? And they proceeded to tell me what it is that she would believe about Jesus and probably be saying about Jesus. And so I had the great pleasure uh, the next day when I saw her inquire to say, "Um, I'm sorry, but you can't lead a Bible study. I didn't realize we thought about Jesus in different ways. So it's, so I'm sorry not surprisingly we weren't friends after that but it's not actually just enough is it for someone to say oh I'm a Christian oh I'm a Christian and and quite honestly in in our day it's not more that people would say I'm a Christian they belong to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints more often it is I am a pretty good person and I believe in God and I go to church sometimes And that is the definition of a Christian. But Paul's saying it's not enough. It's not even enough for these people who are clever enough to stand up and teach things and for you to be in awe of their gifts. It's not enough. Because how we define Christian, how we define the gospel, how we define and understand the person of Jesus matters. Friends, as at Gray Road Baptist Church, this is why we have membership interviews. This is is part of the reason why we do it. It's not so we can pull out a big spotlight and put it on somebody and interrogate them. It's because we want to make sure the people who are coming in, that we are yoking ourselves to as a church family, believe in the same Jesus, share the same gospel. It's why we would remove someone from our fellowships who claims to believe in Jesus but doesn't believe what the Bible actually teaches about Jesus. Quite frankly, it's why things like requiring people to agree with the church's statement of faith shouldn't be looked down on as unnecessary or legalistic. It's why, actually, churches for centuries have practiced using church covenants. Quite frankly, it's something we need to revisit ourselves. The idea, not necessarily the same one. Just put that in your bonnet, and we can talk about it later. But it matters who we yoke ourselves to. As a church family, it matters. We're not saying you have to be of a certain theological intellect or you have to be, you have, to have this and you have to be able to do all, you know, you have to be just way up here in your theological acumen. No, no, no. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is both God and man. He came, He died, lived a perfect life. He died for us in our place, bearing our sin and our shame and our guilt. And He rose again on the third day, victorious over death, And guaranteeing our resurrection and our eternal life, and He is coming again, and all who trust in Him by faith alone, by grace alone, in Him are saved. That's the baseline. Are there other things that would make someone choose or not choose a church? Absolutely. But, friend, that is the bare minimum. You understand? We can't yoke ourselves to unbelievers here. We may have differing views about things that are less important, you know, non-gospel issues. But the yoke that binds us together is Jesus Christ. And we cannot bend on that. Do not be unequally yoked with Unbelievers. In particular, Paul is saying, those who would say they are unbelievers say they're on the same page, but they are false, they are undeceitful, they will lead you astray. So don't give yourself, you want a really practical, just you, don't give yourself to a false teacher because they are a clever communicator. Can I tell you, there are some really, there are some, very, there are some men who are gifted communicators in our world. They are good writers. But you ought to stay away from them. Do not yoke yourself to them. I was telling somebody just this week, I can't even count how many times somebody would come up to me and say that they wanted to share with me their two favorite preachers, neither of which were me, which was understandable. But... (laughs) But to say, so and so, I want to share with you my two favorite preachers. One, you would just go, yes, and amen. And the other, you just go, huh? One of these things is not like the other. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Personally, in the church, in, te- in the teaching, any of it. The second thing to see here, Paul doesn't just say it. He explains it. He gives us the reasons. So we've seen the command. Let's look at the reasons. Now, children love to ask why, don't they? Why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to clean my room now? Why do I have to go back and re-clean my room? I already cleaned my room. I moved those two toys. Why do I have to be in at that time? Why can't I do that? Why do I have to finish my vegetables? Parents we would call these sanctification questions because they god uses these little precious people with that little three letter word why to just squeeze us now plenty of times we might have an explanation you know to teach responsibility to be good stewards of what we have to because we need the 12 bowls that are on the floor in your room if we're going to eat soup for dinner But more than once over the last 19 years as a parent, when the whys just kept coming and coming and coming and coming, I did what my dad did more often than I can even imagine because I said so. I was running out of explanations. I didn't pause and say, well, you know, son, God has structured the universe as one in which we live under authority and God has uh, given me to be your parents in authority over you. And the Bible says, children, obey your parents. Now, I have said that, but there are times when I have not been the parent I ought to be, and I just said, because I said so. Paul doesn't say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, because I said so. (laughs) Or even, because God said so. Even though that's enough. He wants us to understand why it is that this is so important. He gives three reasons. The first is you don't belong to them. You don't belong with them. This series of questions that begins in the second half of verse 14 points to that. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? If you just sit down and ask these questions to any Christian, the answers are going to be clear. Isn't it it interesting how clear it is when we're just answering the questions than it is when we're out there in real life? What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, everybody? None. None, right? Was that hard? Did you have to think hard about that? No. What fellowship has light with darkness? None. What accord has Christ with Belial? Well, now see, there's less answering because you're like, I don't know who Belial is. (laughs) Belial comes from a Hebrew word that means worthlessness or treacherous, and it's used in the that Hebrew word in the Old Testament is used to describe some of the most heinous sinful acts of idolatry and sexual sin that happen in the Old Testament. Worthless men. There are several times worthless men comes up. And some of those times it's the word from which this word comes. But in the period between the Old and New Testament, the worthless, treacherous one was less a descriptor and became more a name, another name for Satan himself. Worthless and treacherous, that sums it up, doesn't it? So now let me ask again, what accord has Christ with Belial? Portion here is about the inheritance that we will receive. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? None. We're not inheriting the same thing. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You who've read the Old Testament, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? None. None. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? God has made us righteous in Christ. He calls us the light of the world. We are children of light. We are in Christ. We have an inheritance waiting for us. And we, he says, are the temple of God. Now the temple here is not the whole building. The word temple here in the Greek is the word for the most holy place, the holy of holies, that place where God's presence hovers above the mercy seat that place where atonement is made once a year by the high priest who goes in that place and he says we are that place now we are the place where God's presence is we are the place because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit can you imagine the audacity Paul would say of picking up Dagon, the idol, and carrying it into the Holy of Holies and saying, hey, check this out, God. Isn't this neat? I'm trying an outreach ministry with people who, who do this. I'm trying to li- Listen, doesn't their teaching sound a lot like yours? They want us to be good people too. He says you don't belong with them you don't belong to lawlessness. You don't belong to darkness. You don't belong to the devil. You're not an unbeliever. You were an idolater, but you're no longer that. You don't belong to them. I mean, it is certainly true. There are plenty of ways that we may fit with a non-Christian, like in earthly ways, right? We may have the same taste in music. We may have the same taste in art or books. We may have the same hobbies, the same career, work at the same job, have the the same political views very often. But listen, when it comes to the thing that matters most about us and the thing that matters most about them, we are disjointed. Those things that we have in earthly common actually may be bridges so that we have the most important thing in common, The shared music or the shared art or the shared job or the shared neighborhood or the shared whatever it is. But you don't belong to them. Second reason, you belong to God. That's the second reason. This is is why he quotes from the Old Testament We don't belong to unbelievers, we belong to God. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And here's the command in the middle. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. All of these are in the future tense, but they are future tense promises that we hang on to right now. These are for us. There are six different Old Testament references here, but they all basically say the same thing outside the command. Well, even the command implies it. You belong to God. When God says you are my people, that means I am no longer my own person. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own So this is where he says, we are God's temple. This is, I mean, the, the temple was God's. It wasn't our temple. It's not the people's temple. The people decided, hey, we got to figure out to worship something. Let's build a temple. No, God says, this is what you must do. This is where I'll meet with you. And Jesus says, I am the temple. That is where we meet with God. And now he says, we are the temple. He is meeting, he is with me all the time. I'm in a constant meeting with God. There's no recess to go take a break and go to the water cooler and then we'll come back to this meeting. Constantly meeting with Him everywhere I go. Not only are we God's temple, we are God's children. Look at verse 18. So God's temple is pictured in the I will make my dwelling among them. And then in, then in verse 18, I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me. We have been adopted into God's family through Christ. Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why. Growing up every summer, my dad's college fraternity would have a huge picnic at this park in Cookville, Tennessee, and we would go to it, and we would play sand volleyball, and we would eat a bunch of food, and there was a video arcade there, so I would spend time begging my dad for quarters, um, because the change machine inevitably never worked. I'm constantly doing all of that. His friends would tossle my hair. I would answer the same questions about how I like school and how I like my teacher, and How I'm doing, and all these things every single year. But when it came time to pack up, and it came time to get in the cars, and it came time to go home, nobody ever had to tell me whose car to get in. Ever. I got in Dad's car. Why? I'm Dad's. That's me. I'm with him. Where he goes, I'm going. We belong to God. It's not a question. We're God's temple. We're God's children. That means we can't be unequally yoked to those who are unbelievers because they are not God's children through adoption. They are not the temple, they are the ones who still serve idols. So we can't just give ourselves heart and soul to someone who has not given themselves heart and soul to the Lord Jesus. You don't belong to them. You belong to God. Third goal, your goal is to be set apart. Your goal is to be set apart. Since then, we have these promises, these promises of fellowship with the Lord, that we are His, that we are His temple, that we are His Uh, Children, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we belong to God now, since we belong to God forever, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that doesn't say, I belong to God. Every defilement, body and spirit, Separation from all that keeps us from reaching our goal. And what is God's goal for us here? Bringing holiness to completion. The bringing to completion there is the exact same word that Paul uses in Philippians 1 verse 6. That He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words... Paul's saying that God's agenda must be our agenda. That as God will certainly bring holiness to completion, certainly bring holiness to completion, we must strive to bring holiness to completion. We are at odds with our God. We are at odds with our Father when we aim our lives anywhere else. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling... As God works in us to will and to do His good purpose. If you're a Christian, that's your goal. you have a goal for this week? There's your goal. Strive to bring holiness to completion. Now, it's not one of these simple, uh, easily measured goals, is it? But here's what you can know. When As you pursue that goal by faith, God will not let you fail. He will not. You will get there. Your work will be completed. As you persevere in the faith, God preserves you. In fact, you persevere in the faith because God is preserving you. You will get there because God will get you there, and He will get you there by stirring in you so that you strive to get there. That's how it works. Kent Hughes said of this phrase, "...the great tragedy for so many is that as they get older, they do not get any holier. Time has been the enemy. They left their moral apex in junior high school. They were better boys than they are men. Holiness is farther from completion." Our goal, brothers and sisters, is to bring holiness to completion by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God to do that. Reconciliation with God must lead to separation, to not be unequally yoked to unbelievers because we don't belong to them. It's a mismatch because we belong to God, because we are His temple and we are His children. And because His goal for us is actually to complete this project of being holy as God is holy. That's our call. What will you do today to seek to bring holiness to completion. Is there a yoking in your life that needs to come to an end? Because in the end, in Corinth, that's precisely what... Paul's not saying look out for the unequal yoking out there in the future sometime. He's saying, let me tell you something. You're unequally yoked right now and don't be. It's present tense. Don't be any more unequally yoking yourself to them. Is there somebody in your life that you have, that isn't just someone you're concerned about, someone you love because we love our neighbor as ourselves, and we love our enemies and we care for people and we do all of that? Not someone who's just in your life, but someone who speaks into your life, someone who is an example to you, someone you find yourself following, someone you, is there an unequal yoking in your life? Are you yoked in a commitment to God's people in the local church? We are meant to be yoked together as those who are in Christ. How would God have you respond to this text? That's the question for all of us. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before You, thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has reconciled us with You. We are thankful for His death, the fact that He has broken the yoke of slavery, so that we may not be bound by it anymore. Lord, we pray that You will convict us when we are so foolish as to try to put that yoke back on. I pray for those who don't know what it is to take Christ's yoke upon them. I pray that they will come to you, turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. I pray for those who are Christians who are even now unequally yoked with another, We know that in circumstances like marriage, there is no breaking the yoke because it's a covenant you mean to last for life. And so we pray for those who are married to those who do not believe. Help them, Lord, to be faithful in that difficulty, in the hard circumstances that come along with that and help, help both husbands and wives to fulfill their roles faithfully, not based on what their spouse does, but based on what Christ has done for them. I pray for those who are single, who may not even be wanting to date or get married, but it could very well be somewhere in their future. Lord, would you cause them to not yoke themselves to one who does not belong to you. Give them the conviction not even that one must just say they are a Christian but must truly believe the true gospel. Help us as a church to be discerning about those who join. Lord, we want to be a holy people give us grace that we might cleanse ourselves from every defilement body and spirit and bring to completion the holiness to which you've called us and now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us, be with us all this day and in the days to come, and forevermore. Amen.